Just before he ascended into heaven, Jesus commanded his disciples to go into all nations and preach three things. Repentance, remission of sins in his name, and the promise of the Father. What did he mean by that? How was the Father's promise fulfilled? Are you ready to face the truth? Face the Truth is the weekly podcast of the Truth Church of Olathe, Kansas. Now here is your host and Bible teacher, Pastor Gregory Riggin. Thank you, Brother Goff, and thank you to everyone who is listening. I trust that today's episode will be a blessing to all of those who tune in. Several times since I began this podcast, I've made reference to some of the last words Jesus spoke to his disciples before he ascended into heaven. In that conversation, Jesus specifically told his disciples to preach three things. Inasmuch as we've covered two of those, repentance and remission of sins through baptism in Jesus' name, in previous episodes, we need to once again examine his words so that we can discuss the third part of this command. Let's turn to Luke chapter 24, verses 46 through 49. And he said unto them, Thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer, and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things. And behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you. But tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until ye be endued with power from on high. Now, according to that last verse, verse 49, the third aspect of the instructions given to the apostles was that they were to preach the promise of the Father. Of course, that statement in and of itself, while obviously clear to the apostles who heard it, provides no definition as to what the promise is. Thus, it requires us to search the scriptures in order to know the exact promise to which Jesus referred. While there are many promises the Father has made, Luke identifies which promise was to be part of the true apostolic teaching. The book of Acts, which was also written by Luke and basically picks up where the gospel of Luke leaves off, identifies that promise in the very first chapter, Acts 1, verses 4 and 5. And being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which, saith he, ye have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water... But ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. Thus, it is abundantly clear that the specific promise of the Father to which Jesus referred in Luke 24 was the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Jesus said the thing that ought to follow being baptized with water is being baptized with the Holy Ghost. Of course, Jesus was not alone in making this connection. His forerunner, John the Baptist, taught the same principle. He said in Matthew 3.11 that Jesus would baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. However, to trace this promise to its roots, we have to go to prophecies made long before the New Testament was written. The fact is, the Old Testament also has a lot to say about the promise of the Father. Ezekiel 36, verses 26 and 27, A new heart also will I give you, 
and a new spirit will I put within you. And I will take away a stony heart out of your flesh, and I will give you an heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you shall keep my judgments and do them. God knew that on his own, man was unable to keep the commandments the Lord expected him to keep. Furthermore, God wanted to change mankind so that living as God wanted him to live was not a matter of keeping a written list of do's and don'ts. Therefore, God promised to provide man with his spirit, empowering humanity to walk in God's statutes, identifying this as his new covenant. Jeremiah 31, verses 31 through 33. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, which my covenant they break, although I was an husband unto them, saith the Lord. But this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, saith the Lord, I will put my law in their inward parts and write it in their hearts and will be their God and they shall be my people. Now, as we pointed out in our podcast on baptism, Holy Ghost is not a name. It's a descriptive title. When one considers this title, it should come as no surprise that the purpose of this promise was to provide man with the spirit which would make him holy. Although the Greek word used throughout the New Testament can be translated as spirit, the King James translators chose to use the word ghost in most instances where it referred to the spirit which would indwell the hearts of believers. Personally, I believe this was a wise choice inasmuch as it helps us to understand exactly what this spirit is. In the English language, we recognize a ghost as the spirit of one who has departed. That is exactly what the Holy Ghost is, the spirit of one who departed. That's why Jesus said he had to go away before the Holy Ghost would come. John 16, 7, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart... I will send him unto you. A detailed explanation of this concept is much more than I have time to provide in this podcast. Suffice it to say for now, however, Jesus was not implying that he had to go to heaven so a different person could come back. In fact, he said just the opposite. John 14, 18, I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. When Jesus spoke of the Comforter in chapter 16 of John, he was not making reference to a person in the Godhead which was separate from himself. In fact, he was not making reference to a person at all. He was speaking of a spirit, his spirit. He had already told his disciples in chapter 14 that he was the one who would come to comfort them. Therefore, the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost that's John 14, 26, is simply the spirit of the one who went away. The spirit of the Holy One 
who departed is called the Holy Ghost. The good news is the promise of the Holy Ghost is for everyone who believes as the scripture hath said. In John chapter 7, verses 37 through 39, we read, In the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. But this spake he of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive. For the Holy Ghost was not yet given, because that Jesus was not yet glorified. It's important that you recognize the overriding theme of the message the apostles were instructed to preach. It should be obvious that since the Lord's purpose in coming was to seek and to save that which was lost, according to Luke 19.10, the message he gave his followers was intended to fulfill that very purpose. Repentance, remission of sins in his name, that is water baptism, and the promise of the Father, as we read in Luke 24.47-49, are the requirements necessary for a person to be saved. Without these three elements, a person cannot obtain salvation. Just as we've shown in previous podcasts that repentance is required and water baptism in Jesus' name is essential, so this third part is just as necessary. Let's look once again at the question Peter and the other apostles were asked on the day of Pentecost as well as the response the crowd was given. Acts chapter 2, verses 37 through 39. Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, for the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. Please note that when the multitude asked how to deal with the problem of their sinful condition, repentance and baptism were only part of the response. In fact, they were the prerequisites necessary to accomplish the ultimate answer. In other words, when they asked, what shall we do? Peter's final response was, receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. In order to do that, however, they needed to first repent and be baptized. The reason I call this to your attention is to stress the essentiality of the Holy Ghost. It is not an option. Without it, you have not really addressed the issue of your lost condition. The other thing I want you to notice is that this gift is not just reserved for a select few. The apostle said the promise is to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. There are no exceptions. Jesus specifically identified two things when Nicodemus asked him to explain how a man could be born again. Therefore, without both of these things, the new birth has not been accomplished. John 3, verses 3 through 5. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? 
Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. The new birth, then, requires both a birth of water, which is baptism in Jesus' name, and a birth of the Spirit, receiving the Holy Ghost. Inasmuch as this was the Lord's definition of being born again, we cannot modify it or change it in any way. Now, there are many churches today which teach the Holy Ghost resides within a person the moment they believe. Others teach it happens the moment a believer is baptized. Both of these concepts are contrary to Scripture. Since the Bible clearly gives examples of those who did both, that is, believing and being baptized, but who had definitely not been filled with the Spirit. First, let's consider the Samaritans in Acts chapter 8. It's abundantly clear that although they had believed and been baptized, they received the Holy Ghost as a separate and distinct experience. Acts chapter 8, verse 12, But when they believed, Philip, preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God, and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. That's verse 12. Now let's go to verses 15 through 17. Who, when they were come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Ghost. For as yet he was fallen upon none of them, only they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then laid they their hands on them, and they received the Holy Ghost." So these people believed and were baptized in verse 12, but they did not receive the Holy Ghost until verse 17. Another example is found in the conversion of the Ephesian disciples in Acts chapter 19. We'll see that these men also received the Holy Ghost independently from the moment they believed or the moment they were baptized. Acts 19 verses 1 and 2. And it came to pass that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul, having passed through the upper coast, came to Ephesus, and finding certain disciples, he said unto them, Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? And they said unto him, We have not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. In light of our current discussion, it's interesting to note the question Paul asked in verse 2. It's obvious believing and receiving were two separate experiences. It becomes more obvious when you consider the response of the believers. We have not even heard about the Holy Ghost. Thus, these disciples who were believers had obviously not been filled with the Spirit of God. Furthermore, they had been baptized once, according to verse 3, and were about to be baptized again, this time in Jesus' name. Still, they had not received the Holy Ghost. Acts 19, verses 5 and 6, When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Ghost came on them, and they spake with tongues and prophesied. Once again we see that although they were baptized in verse 5, they did not receive the Spirit at that moment. It happened separately. This fact is further confirmed by a verse to which I referred earlier. Let's consider it once again. John chapter 7, verse 39. But this spake he of the Spirit, 
which they that believe on him should receive. For the Holy Ghost was not yet given, because that Jesus was not yet glorified. John said that the believers should receive the Spirit. He did not say they necessarily do. Receiving the Holy Ghost ought to be the result of one's belief. In fact, it will be if you believe as the Scripture hath said. John 7, verse 38, He that believeth on me as the Scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. My friends, if you have never received the promise of the Father, if you have never been baptized with the Holy Ghost, I want to invite you to experience this glorious gift for yourself. As Peter said, it is joy unspeakable and full of glory. Now, as I bring this podcast to a close, I want to say that If you have questions about this or any other Bible subject, please feel free to contact me directly by sending an email to bishop at olathetruth.com. I would count it an honor to address your questions from the pages of Scripture. Furthermore, the information I've covered today and will be covering in the next few weeks is taken from my book, Understanding the New Birth, which is available on our website at newlifepc.com slash resources. That's newlifepc.com slash resources. Also, if you live in Olathe or the Kansas City area and are interested in a free in-home Bible study, we would be honored to take you through the Word of God. We can come into your home or do it electronically via Zoom or some other form of electronic media. These Bible studies only take one hour and depending on the subject matter, range from 1 to 12 lessons. Again, my email address is bishop at olathetruth.com. Please let us know how we can help you. We want you to know that you are important to us and that we are praying for you, our listeners, on a regular basis. Thank you, Pastor Riggin. And thank you to everyone who has joined us for today's podcast. We want you to know that we are here to help you in any way we can. If there is anything we can do for you, please don't hesitate to contact us. Send your prayer request to prayer at olathetruth.com. That's prayer at olathetruth.com. If you live in the Kansas City metropolitan area, we invite you to join us for our services this week, Sunday morning at 10, Sunday evening at 6, and Tuesday evening at 7.30. For those who cannot attend, we will provide a live stream on our Facebook page, our YouTube page, our Twitter account, and our website, newlifepc.com slash listen. Until our next podcast, take care and God bless.